Um, just just a little side note before we, we get into the sermon. I, I want you to understand uh, what just took place in our time of prayer. Uh, and this is partially a proud dad moment, but it's also a proud parent moment. And a proud pastor moment, a proud... Uh, man, as a Christian body, we together are making some impact. Uh, Aaron, I wish Andy was here, Gracie, during our little huddle, prayed. She grabbed my little sheet, and she prayed for Aaron for her gallbladder surgery on April 4th. She handed it back, and, and it's like, you, you know what? That right there for a, a little six-year-old girl, it's huge. The DNA of prayer is taking root. And I pray that as a church, that it starts from the youngest kids and skyrockets to the oldest one here, and that through the prayers of our people. In my devotion last night, my wife was out cold. I was reading Acts 4, and this is... Peter was imprisoned and he was told, you know what, uh, you, you need to be silent about uh, what is going on, about Jesus Christ. And uh, th- after they were released, they went into an upper room and they prayed. And in this prayer, um, they, they just imagine the tremendous faith that was going on, that God, would you move, would you do something? And as they were praying, the whole room shook. And if you look in Revelation, there's this, uh, the prayers of the saints are like sweet-smelling incense. Every, every day in the temple courts, they would, they would put uh, incense on the altar as the people were praying. And that was just, the aroma, the smell was just uh, a, a picture of God's love of the prayers of the people. And then, after that, the prayers are received and the angel, an angel throws them back down. And there's thunder and lightning and earthquakes because God's answer of prayer. My prayer is that as we, our faith grows, as we trust more, even if it's just a mustard seed, that we see a movement of mountains. Things that we think are impossible. That we come back going, there's nothing impossible with God. The prayers of a six-year-old little girl were answered. And we can say, Gracie, because of your prayers, Aaron is healthy and fully restored. And she goes, and she'll get excited about that. So anyway, side note. Total side note. Um, this morning, we are dealing with probably, we come to the end of this section in, in Matthew, um, where Jesus has really been kind of increasing uh, this kind of spiritual workout. He, he talks about, you know, blessed are you who, and he goes through all the Beatitudes, and we talk about the, um, that Jesus wants us to be poor in spirit, recognizing our spiritual poverty apart from him, and how it is critical that we cling to the good news of Jesus Christ, because apart from ourselves, we would still be poor. We'd be destitute, we'd be destined for hell, but grace has been poured out. 
And then he, he goes on and talks about, um, he, he talks about how he has come and to fulfill the law. And these, the, his, his way of looking at the law is saying, listen, I've not come to abolish it, to get rid of it, but in me you see its completion. So you have heard it said that you shall not murder. Well, I'm going to take it and go right to the root, the core, the cause of murder. You shall not hate. You shall not have those, those thoughts that lead to murder because that in itself is murder. So Jesus goes, okay, just don't go kill people. But let's go one step deeper. And he keeps on redefining. He, he goes and talks about adultery. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, anyone who looks lustfully has already committed adultery. Okay, so he's going, okay, don't, don't go sleeping around. But don't even think about it. Because those things lead to adultery. And those things also then lead to, that discontent also leads to divorce. And God says, what I have joined together may no man separate. Because it's a picture of my church. It's a picture of the beauty of the gospel. And then he, he talks about oaths. You've heard it said this. Let your yes be yes. Please, just be truthful to your neighbors. And last week, Nathan talked about, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, don't seek vengeance. Don't be spiteful. And today, Jesus wraps it all up. By saying, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. For me, as I'm reading this, I'm going, I'm going, Jesus, are, are, you, are you sure you know what you're, you're asking? Because, you know, I think it's easy for us to say, you know, I can tolerate um, that, that co-worker of mine who is constantly tapping the pencil or shaking the leg or making annoying things or doing, you know, those things. And you go, okay, I can tolerate and I'll love them in spite of that. You know, they'll get it. They'll, those habits, they'll, they'll get over it. Maybe it's even your spouse who does those annoying things. And you know what, I, I can even kind of put a little badge of honor. You know how we do that? we got this little badge of honor because, you know what, I am, I am a patient man because I put up with these things. And we wear our little created little badges. of I, I put up with so-and-so, I put up with so-and-so. In reality, they're not our enemies, they're just annoying people, right? But we, we kind of wear our little badges and say, look at me. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about your enemies. The people who are directly being mean, awful. They're the people that are just pushing your buttons, not just because they're annoying. They're pushing your buttons because they're evil. And Jesus is saying, love those people and pray for the ones who are out to get you. Those people who have caused you intentional, mean harm, love them. And I'm just, and this, 
I'm, I'm going to tell my story. As an eight-year-old boy, I had a favorite uncle. A favorite uncle that I just thought, he was it. He was the coolest thing out there. We would, we would cruise in his car. I don't know, it was just an ugly brown car now that I think about it. But, it, you know, we would cruise all around town. We would do all these kind of things. We'd build forts. We'd have these tree houses. But at the age of eight, I was intentionally abused, sexually abused as an eight-year-old boy. And I am angry. I am hurt. Because this is somebody who did evil to me intentionally. And Jesus is saying, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. How? How the heck do you want me to, to love those people who, who are not loving or lovely? And I think that we all have those in our lives, if we're really honest. They're not, there's nothing loving about them. There's nothing lovely about them. And Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to love your enemies. And pray for those people who, who are persecuting you. And honestly, I wish that I could, I have, uh, you know, a ton of just amazing wisdom. You know, here's, here's your 10-step here's your, uh, program. Do these kind of things and tomorrow everything's going to be lickety-split. You know, apply these principles and have a, a loving life and you can just love everybody and you can care for everybody. And that, you know, people, when they feel your love, they're, they're just going to be turned around and love Jesus. And we'll have ten baptisms up here next week because you just start loving people. And their testimonies are just going to come rolling in and Missio Day Church is going to grow because of the love that's going on because you apply these ten principles. And it's just not that easy. But it is something that we as believers are called to. Because as, as Jesus ends this, this section in, in verse 48, He says, He is specifically talking to the disciples. You. You, therefore, must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Now let me just unpack that because that's, that's, that's the culmination of everything. That little section, you therefore must be perfect in the Greek is what's called the future indicative. For you that don't know Greek, that means absolutely nothing. But basically what the future indicative is, is the future indicative predicts as well as it commands. It predicts that it will rain and you will be there. Does that make sense? So future indicative predicts something is going to happen, but it also commands that it will happen. Okay? So Jesus is saying here, a, a really, a, what I think would be a better way of saying it is, you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So Jesus is saying, listen, I'm telling, I'm predicting that this will happen, but I'm telling you, this must also happen. 
That you are going to work towards perfection. You are go- it's not going to be a thing and it automatically happens. But there's a prediction that someday you are going to be perfect. But I'm commanding you in the here and now as well that you must be striving to be perfect. Imitating your Father. Being like Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, let's back up. Jesus says two things. He says that you are to love your enemies. The word there is agape. To, to have this... Um, it, it, it's more than a phileo. Phileo is like a brotherly love. This is a deep kind of love. A love that is, is not just an emotion, but it's also an act of the will. This is who I am. I am going to love my enemies. And sometimes it requires us to do this little switch in our mind to just say, I, I need to get over uh, the, the activity that is coming against me and do a switch in my will, in my mind, in my heart, and just say, I will love. I will love this person in spite of what they are doing and how they are creating pain and anxiety and there's this intention. I will love them. But it also talks about our human affections and our desires. Our human affections and our desires. If if you look at um, 1 Corinthians 13.1, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... But I have not love, agape. I'm just this noisy gong or this clanging cymbal. I, I, I need to have the affections, the desire, the love for humanity. And if I don't have these, this emotion, these affections, these even for our enemies, I am just this, this annoying, clangy gong of a Christian. Because it, it, it's not true. You're not tr- being true to how God originally created you to be. To be in love. And to love. You're not being true to how you were supposed to be created. And so you're just this annoying instrument that is out of tune. Because you're not being true. So we're called to be in love even to love our enemies, even those people who persecute us. When the the Jews would have heard this, immediately what they would have popped into their head was the Romans. And Jesus is saying, listen, you need to love your enemies. The Romans, those who have have taken over their land, have ransacked, have, have... Tax them beyond all recognition. And Jesus is saying, love those people. But He's not saying, if you love them, you are going to see a tremendous change in their lives. He's not saying, He never said that in there. He never made those promises. Because our love for our enemies is independent of the person that's to be loved. It's independent of their rank. It's independent of their attractiveness. None of that matters. Results are immaterial. 
In other words, loving your enemies should not be based on what you get out of it. Jesus isn't saying love them so that you can get something back. He's just saying love your enemies. Period. Independent on who they are, what they do, what you might get out of it, love your enemies. Love them deeply. And then he goes on to say, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for them. Pray that the the gospel will just transform their heart and their mind and their lives. That God would open up their eyes to the good news of Jesus Christ. Pray for those. Because when we pray for our enemies, animosity dwindles. When we truly pray for people, the difficult people and the enemies that we have in our lives, animosity dwindles and compassion increases. It changes our mind. When's the last time that you've really prayed for that person? When's the last time I've really prayed for my uncle? God, would you just change him? God, would you just change me? My heart of that's hard. My heart that is like a stone that is impenetrable to love. That's impenetrable to hope. That's impenetrable to that person who caused you tremendous pain, whether it be divorce, conversation, work situations. God, would you change my heart and would you change theirs see one of the I love this phrase that I saw in one of the commentaries and it was by D.A. Carson love is an act of a whole person of your mind your thoughts your actions love love is an act of the whole person reaching out to whole persons. He's calling us to love them with all that we have. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then Jesus adds this other piece. And also, love your neighbor as you love yourself. With all that you, how how you love you, how and I know some of us have kind of a twisted love for ourselves. Some of it's like narcissism, and some of it is so deflated. Jesus is saying, "Love, love you as I have created you, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love, love deeply, love compassionately. To love our enemies is to pursue." A life that is just patterned after God. You see, in, in Ephesians, see if I have that one, yep. 
in Ephesians, it says this, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators. Imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There's this idea, we're called to imitate God, to be as the, the um, being created in the image of God. We are called to, to be like God in how He forgives and how He loves. And it's not, we're not given permission to be selective here. We can't say, well, those are people that, if I love them, it's beneficial for me. Even in, even in business dealings or uh, casual work relationships. It's not just, he's not saying be selective. He's saying love. Across the board. From the most lovable to the unlovable. So I wonder about how, how John and Missy Camiola in Nigeria, where they... They're impacted by 500 people being massacred just outside their doorsteps where Muslim herdsmen came and surrounded villages and with machetes came in and killed people mercilessly, women and children, defenseless. 500 people outside your doorsteps. And Jesus is saying, you've heard it said, love love your neighbors, hate your enemies, but I'm saying to you, whoa. No, 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 no. Love your enemies and pray for those who are persecuting you. And how does that even for us in an unpersecuted world how does that change our prayer life for them? How does that pray, change how we pray for John and Missy? Who, in reality, are in the middle of persecution? And how do we pray for those Muslim herdsmen? Do we pray, God, be just? Or do we pray, man... God, would your gospel take hold of their hearts this morning? Would your Holy Spirit go before John and Missy and convict the hearts and make them tender to your good news? How do we pray for them? Because Jesus says this, look, look at your Father as an example. It says, He makes... His sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends His rain on the just and the unjust. So that defines God's love even for the difficult, the enemies of God. Those who are outside of His kingdom. What does He do? God shows love and He shows mercy by shining the sun down on them. He he gives them rain, which gives them profit, which gives them growth. God even shows love to the unjust. So Jesus defines it positively, but then He goes and defines it negatively by saying this, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? 
Do not even the tax collectors, the people that you hate, do that? Come on. You're no different than the tax collectors. You're no different than them. And if you greet only your brothers or your sisters, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles, your enemies, do that? So it begs the question, how are we as the church, the redeemed people of God, how are we different than the world? Is there anything that sets us apart from the rest of the world in how we love? It's even said that the church is probably one of the coldest, most unfriendly places to come. Because we do this. Uh, we greet only our brothers. We see those people that we love, and it's like, ah, oh, it's so good to see you, and we love and hug on them, and this person comes in the door going, nobody even noticed me. I'm sitting by myself. I'm going to give this church three weeks, maybe. And what do we do? We're no different than the rest of the world. We just love those that, that we love, and we're going to give them special attention. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. The love that you have got to have is the kind of love that I have for you. And I was just deeply convicted this week as I looked at, at Romans. And I, can I encourage you, if you've got your Bible, Romans 5, 942 is the page. If you grab the Isle Bibles, as uh, Emily called them, 942. I don't know for the rest of you where it's at, but uh, the Isle Bibles are 942. This is talking about God's example and what, what God has done for us. Look at this. Because Jesus loved us when we were totally unlovable. When we were His enemies, we were loved. Verse 5, or sorry, verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that the sufferings produce endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and our hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might even dare to die. But God showed His love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Later on it goes on to describe sinners as enemies of God. Christ died for us while we were enemies of God. Church, 
shouldn't that change the way that we look at the world? Those difficult people, those people who are intentionally antagonists, who are persecuting. The church is called to be above the common level of love. It's saying, love deeply because you have been loved and still are loved deeply. Your level of love and forgiveness needs to be deeper than the oceans, higher than the highest mountain. Because as far as the east is from the west, so far have your transgressions been forgiven and removed from you. Love people. Now, let's put this into, let's put this into practical. If that is how we are to love the most difficult people in our world, can you imagine if we actually applied that to the most difficult people, those who persecute us, as well as those people who are our neighbors, our co-workers, and we just say, man, I, I love you so deeply because God has loved me so deeply. Seriously. I wonder, and this is just me thinking out loud, and this might just push people's buttons, I don't care. Could you imagine if we actually lived into this, lived into the Gospel? We applied it on a daily basis? What would happen? Not just lived it out, spoke it. We prayed for this. we'd be out of chairs. We would have to have more missional communities because people are going, I, I need to be a part of this, this group of people that love so deeply. And your, your small group leaders are going to have to go, alright, I need about four apprentices in this group because we cannot have 40 people in my house anymore. Who's taking a group? Who's going to love on these people? Okay, college, you've got to stop loving on people because there's way too many people coming because of your, your work and the love that you're doing. It's crazy. Would you guys slow down a little bit? Because, holy cow, I don't think that we can handle this. This is out of control. This is just absolutely insane. What are you guys doing? We're loving people as Christ loved us. Way to go! Now, how are we going to solve this problem? Okay, who's, does anybody got some extra cash? Because we've got to buy a baptismal. Because, you know what, people, people are coming to Christ who are far from Christ, and we've got to buy a mobile baptistry for the this, this school. Who's, who's got money? Okay, I've got money. All right, sweet. Why is that happening? Because we understand the depth of love and the depth of forgiveness that was given to us, God's enemies. Could you imagine that? Sunday after Sunday, a person stands up and says, you know what? I need to tell you a story about how I was the jerk of all jerks 
But because of the love of the Burks, I rhymed. Because of the love of the Burks, my eyes have been opened up to God's movement in my life. Now the person stands up and says, Yeah, me too, but it wasn't with the Burks. I'd like to get to know them. It's because of what uh, Diane Sexton said to me in a, an insurance conversation. Somebody else said, Yeah. Let me tell a story about what happened. I got an email from the Camiolas, a Muslim herdsman received tremendous love. And today, all of heaven applauds. All of heaven applauds because he gave his life to Christ. This is a big thing. To live into. And it's not for your common everyday Christian who just subscribes to Sunday morning church. It's for your everyday Christian who daily, moment by moment, relies on the gospel, lives into it, and shares it. That's what this is about. what the gospel's about. I'm going to read this last thing from Friedrich Buechner. From a book that he wrote called The Magnificent Defeat. The love for equals is a human thing. Of a friend for friend, brother for brother. It is to love what is loving and lovely. The world smiles. The love for the less fortunate is a beautiful thing. The love for those who suffer, for those who are poor, the sick, the failures, the unlovely. This is compassion. And it touches the heart of the world. The love for the more fortunate is a rare thing. To love those who succeed where we fail. To rejoice without envy with those who rejoice. The love of the poor for the rich of the black man for the white man. The world is always bewildered by its saints. And then there is the love for the enemy. Love for the one who does not love you, but mocks, threatens, and inflicts pain. The tortured's love for the torturer. This is God's love. It conquers the world. God's love, God's deep, deep love, conquers the world. I'm going to pray. Join me. Jesus, uh, I don't even know. I I can preach this, but I'm not sure what it means for me after I sit down. 
I don't know what it means for me tomorrow or next week. But I do know this, that you have loved me, that you've loved us, that you have given us new life, that you've drawn us to yourself as your adopted children. You have poured out your your transforming grace into our hearts so that we can love our friends, our neighbors, and even our enemies. God, I pray that as we come to the table to dine with You, Lord, that we remember that at one time we also were enemies of God. We were considered objects of wrath. But because we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, we can stand before you and you see Jesus Christ because we're in Him. God, may we remember this morning as Your body. May we remember where we were, our position, and that we have been saved because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And God, may we also remember this morning the gospel that's been preached to us, the gospel that saved us, the gospel in which we are standing, and the gospel that by which we are being saved. May we never grow too tired of hearing about it. May we never grow too tired of applying it and living into it. God, I pray for Monsieur Day Church, my brothers and sisters that are gathered here, those who are still sleeping in because of the time change. God, may this take deep root in our hearts and our minds and our lives for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of your name's sake. God, I pray for those this morning who still cannot hear this because they're distracted by pain or distracted by the busyness of life or distracted by religiosity and thinking that they're doing all right. God, would you work in their heart, their minds, their lives. May they see the glory and the power of the gospel this morning. Would it transform them right now Renew their minds in this moment. God, would you change our hearts again? Would you remind us of all the ways that we we fall short? Even today even in the past minute. And as we come to the table, 
may we remember that you have removed the dividing wall of hostility and that now we have peace and that we can enjoy the hope that's found in you, the peace that's found in you, the love that's found in you, which is not to be hoarded, but to be shared. God, would your Spirit move in our church? Would it move in our marriages, our workplaces? And may we not be satisfied with anything less than your full presence, your full noticeable presence in our lives. Jesus, thank you for your work that conquers the world, that's conquered our sin. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.